Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 95, Privacy, Security, and we're going to mention Fresh RSS to talk a little bit about that as well. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. And uh, I did laugh. I see some of the comments. Sometimes we start a couple minutes late. We double check the show notes. This is a quality check. We we prefer to go over some of these things just before. So we're always on the same page so we can yep. present the show with accuracy. That matters to us a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and the first thing we want to do is thank a sponsor of the show, and that's going to be Linode. And Linode can probably help with some of this stuff, too, especially some of the things we're going to be talking about today. You may want to host things on Linode because you don't want necessarily your public IP address being tied to these things because, you know, DDoSing and things happen. Uh, just spin up a server in Linode and many of the applications we talk about, or you can use the Linode store, can be loaded up right onto one of their servers, get you testing, get you going with any of this stuff. I'm going to be talking about Fresh RSS today, and that's another one that's easy enough to host in the cloud because it's actually multi-tenant newsreader RSS reader, which is really cool. And wow. Linode is a great place to host all these things. We're also going to be talking about TailScale later, and if you want to get your TailScale nodes connected to a Linode, that will work too. So it's a great place to host all those things you want public-facing. We thank them for being a sponsor of the show. Oh, and they are now called Akamai. So it's actually the same company. Uh, they've been yep. absorbed into the Akamai cloud. So we're working on saying it. They said they will forgive us for say calling it because uh, they're, <laughs> they are they they have the, all the Linode people keep calling it Linode, Akamai, Akamai, Linode. And the, the naming is going to take some time to get used to. But don't worry. We have an offer code down below to get you started with them. And we thank them for being a sponsor of the show. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's see. Updates so, to software, mm -hmm. or actually, I we I don't think I have any feedback. I didn't see anything in the notes because we we'll try to show uh, start the show with feedback each time here. Yeah, and, I didn't uh, see anything yet, but uh, yeah, there might have yeah. been some that snuck in there, but we'll get to we'll we'll definitely answer. Yep, uh, feedback at the homelab.show because uh, the last question I have is the ButterFS question uh, we answered last week. So if you wanna if you wanna join in the feedback, absolutely feedback at the homelab.show. Just send us an email. So that's pretty awesome uh, for people that, you know, are looking for an easy way to do it because people said they didn't like filling forms out and they just wanted email. So email it is. <laughs> yep. Yep. And uh, I think I have a feeling that this particular episode will generate quite a bit of feedback. Just a, oh. just a feeling that I have. I, I hope it's right. So, yeah. Um, and so I see someone did ask, does the RSS reader need to be hosted in the cloud? No, it doesn't have to be, but that can be a place you could host it. So uh, required? No. Press RSS is what I want to talk about briefly is some software. I will be doing a more in-depth video on this, but what we've really run into is we have to keep up with the news and, and you could just listen to us because me and Jay, you know, talk about the news from time right. to time, but that's a limited source here. How do me and Jay keep up with some of the news and some of the things that we bring up on this, on our channels or in this uh, particular show and RSS feeds are amazing. The reality is mm -hmm. news has become, you know, extremely motivated to keep you distracted. They, don't do this for any conspiracy reasons. It's really simple. Ads. Ads are how they fund the news. So if we make lots of uh, blinky ads and we get you clicking on cat pictures and we get you clicking on ads with cat pictures, we can keep this site going. Fresh RSS is kind of a breath of fresh air because you can focus on what matters to you. And I'm easily distracted, so it helps me dramatically because uh, I am definitely someone who will fall victim to clicking on it. But it says with this one simple trick... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I just want to click it. I'm I'm really bad. So fresh RSS, you can throw all your RSS feeds in there. We, I, I'm going to, as I said, do is more in-depth video on it, but it allows you to pull in Atom feeds, OPML, do web scraping. Matter of fact, one of the really cool features you can do is subscribe to YouTube channels on there. So the YouTube algorithm, which by the way, if you could like and subscribe and all that stuff like me and Jay always ask you to, you could also never miss a feed from your favorite creators by throwing them into fresh RSS. It's got, uh, it's a little less complicated than some of the other ones I've used because sometimes you have to figure out like a, you have to go from like the channel name to their channel ID to the RSS feed to pull for it. Uh, Fresh RSS kind of automates that. You just drop the channel name in there and it goes, oh, you drop the YouTube channel name in there and it, it'll actually take that channel name um, where I, finally they've got like handles. So 
you know, uh, YouTube slash at Lawrence Systems will bring up mine. It'll convert that to my channel ID. It'll convert that to the RSS feed and boom, all the videos show up inside of there. You don't have to click any bell icons or any of that stuff, but you can. We do appreciate it when you do. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And then when you told me about that RSS thing, that sold me on it immediately because it's always been a pain with the solution that I use that I added a bunch of people to it. And then I just tried to make it good that one time because I dreaded going back in there and trying to add that again because it doesn't make it easy. So uh, I think that's extra incentive for me to test out uh, fresh RSS. And then I'll be a, um, I guess, the student in whatever episode that ends up being when, when yeah. we go over more detail. Yeah, so once I get the video done, I'm going to walk people through how to set it. It's really easy. They do have a Docker image for it. You can host it in really, their, their instructions are pretty simple. It doesn't take a lot to host it, but you want at least enough storage and it doesn't take that much, but it depends on how obsessive you are. I'm a little on the obsessive side when it comes to aggregating data. And so right. I have it keeping the last several thousand articles of all the sites I've fed in there. Uh, one of the last things I'll talk about with Fresh RSS is it is awesome for doing things like pulling in Reddit. Reddit is a very useful resource, but also can be a distracting one at times. I have got my Reddit quite curated to the things I want. I even have a series of public facing multi reddits and you can pull all those into fresh RSS. And when I do my video on this, and there's already a link in my forums. If you look up Tom's fresh RSS in my forums, I have all the uh, public facing multi reddits and everything. So if any of you want to grab a copy of the new sites, my OPML file, I've dumped all that in there. Like I said, my video, I'll go more in depth on how to set it up, but most of it's pretty obvious because you can pull these things like RSS is right out of Reddit and most new sites have RSS feeds as well. So all the major security ones I follow uh, from the Sophos Naked Security blog, Cisco Talos, Krebs on Security, all I follow just a whole lot of those. And they're so easy just to put in there and uh, understand all the articles and the bleeping computers of the world. The only thing that I'll admit it doesn't have the best features of, and this came up on my live stream, where people saying, well, does it have regex type features to filter those feeds out further? Not mm. so well. Um, it might be something, something you could obviously add on, or you could even, uh, pipe the data through where you grab the RSS feed, then pipe it back out, uh, to fresh RSS. Like you could do your own filtering if you needed to. I've really found it necessary because if you take a site like bleeping computer or any of the popular tech news sites, they usually have filters. For example, you can say, I like TechCrunch, but I don't care about this feed. So you can then pull in individual feeds like on a okay. topic. Most of them already do it for you in that way, because that way you're like, oh, I don't care what happens under these categories. Like if it was about tech financing, maybe that's a category you're not interested, but you care about, you know, security breaches. So you want to cover that. They usually have separate RSS feeds on most of these sites. If you Google like the details for any of them, you almost always land on a page like, oh, there's a... RSS feed for these specific uh, topics. I have the register in there because one, I love their snarky humor. <laughs> They're a lot of fun and they have different feeds. So if you don't want everything that the register, because they have opinion pieces in there too, if you don't want those in there, you can pull just the RSS feeds you want. So it's definitely one uh, really worth uh, doing. Now I seen someone comment the several thousand articles. The reason mm -hmm. I keep the archive of articles, because if someone were to ask me a question and even, or I want to know for historical reasons, I may cite something. And if you ever wonder how Tom has such an index of news things, he loads into his news pages. I'll say, hey, this happened uh, back in 2022 or April uh, of 2022. How did I know that? You can go back and filter things in fresh RSS. Like I want to look at chromium as a topic. So I'll, I'll search for the word chromium across all the news articles and it will then have all the hits. And then I can just pull those news articles. This is actually with the advantage of keeping them all organized in fresh RSS because then you can go backwards really easily and see, is this something that happened before? Uh, the Western digital discussion that we're, we'll bring up a little bit today. Did this happen before? When was when were they in the news last? And if you keep an archive of it, it's faster than trying to search Google for an old news story because it's going to try. Google's, you know, not for fault of their own, but it's just the way it works. They're going to try and serve you what they think is the most relevant versus when you archive news articles, I can get exactly what I wanted out of them. It's just a great way to keep up with a lot of these things. Um, and, you know, being multi-tenant where you can have different users, one of my suggestions would be you have a user like myself who 
really focused on the tech content, but maybe your hobby is guitars or race cars or motorcycles, you could actually just create a different user. So you can have your personal user login and all your fresh RSS. So you can stay focused on the thing you want to focus, log out and focus then on your hobby if you want and not have to look at tech news and breaches for a little while. So that's my uh, shout out for fresh RSS. Look for a video coming soon, but it's free. It's open source. You can host it. It's got a Docker image. Uh, it's even in true charts if you want to run it on your NAS. It's just easy. So, <laughs> yep. I see. Okay. Some people are saying Nextcloud News app is another one they used. Yeah. And, and mentioned consolidating because, <clears throat> you know, sometimes it, it does get to a point where you're just managing too many things. And then it's like, do, does that need to be its own VM? Can it be a container? Can it mm-hmm. um, be hosted with something else? Uh, you know, if you have a feature in something you're already using um, and it works for you, there's no reason to. You know, yeah. move away from that because it's what what works. But um, you know, that's why Home Lab is great because you could just decide how you want to navigate this, consolidate what you want, and separate what you don't. Yep. Now we do have a Home Lab tip for you, and this is uh, comes out of a discussion me and Jay had yesterday, and we 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 talked quite a bit about this. But it's one of those things of understanding your storage for your containers or your Kubernetes setup. Um, my preference is to, and if you're running it on TrueNAS, I mentioned in my last video on the latest TrueNAS update that you should be using HostPath because it makes it so much easier to resource. So you understand where your data is, but to expand out further, Jay had pointed out instead of using your like a PVC or any type of other storage, he's using like NFS with some of his. That way, all of his data is always stored on his NAS, and well, yep. his Kubernetes cluster can spin up and just point at those data sources. Yep, and I can also just revert something back. So if I do something stupid and break something, then I can just delete the container completely, go into TrueNAS, restore the config file, then um, you know launch the container again, and then it gets its data from that time period, and I have full control over that. Um, there's pros and cons with every method, but with my method, it's just it just works so well for me that I just can't imagine doing it any other way. But then again, there's always a better way, but I feel like there's just something to be said about having TrueNAS be your central source of data, including your config files for your containers. So you have everything under that one umbrella and you know, that that's an example of consolidating things. So you don't have to have a separate um, volume or or anything like that. You just use the data store that you have already. And then, uh, you know, with the snapshot capabilities of ZFS, married with the containers. That's a great combo. Yeah. And it, it came down to a big discussion because when there was a latest update to TrueNAS, they, TrueNAS scale specifically, TrueCharts broke and people were making a really big deal going, oh, because TrueCharts answer was just reinstall the applications and people are like, but no, all the configuration for it and stuff like that. And I'm like, why is yeah. that a problem? Fresh RSS yeah. broke. Fresh RSS was part of something I pulled from TrueCharts and kind of circles back all the way here, it broke. So I deleted it. I was like, uh, doesn't update anymore. It gives some stupid error, delete. And then I point it back at the same host path and it exactly where I left off every article, all the entire database, every setting, um, it was done. So I really encourage people to make sure they understand where their data is being stored, really think consciously of it and that, like Jay said, using TrueNAS for a NFS share, so you point it right back at that same path, makes life so much easier. Yeah, I feel like, and no offense to anyone, but I, I do feel like at a certain point, if you're reliant on your data being in your container, or you know, you don't know how to, you know, get the data out of it, like you were saying, I also feel like it's, you know, containers. You're, you're just missing the point of containers, in my opinion, because the whole point is that you separate the data and the container and you know one and each one is independent the data can exist without the container the container can exist without the data the data is there the container will use it that just makes more sense at that point if you're that concerned about storage being local to the object i would say use a virtual machine because at that point that's exactly what you're creating or turning a container into Um, but then again i also feel like you know um, user space should never be broken a certain person said that. I think you guys will know who said that famously, mm-hmm. but um, but but it's true. You know, I, I think it is a shared responsibility. But when it comes to your data, that is your responsibility, and we're going to talk more about your responsibility with data uh, coming up pretty quick. But my suggestion is, you know, give that a shot. Uh, map a NFS share to your containers. I, I like to have a dedicated folder underneath for each container, so every container's data is separate from other containers. 
that that's just a good way to do it. Yep. And then you have a stateful configuration that you can uh, restore as needed. Yeah. And that helps make it less pain free. I've, you know, one of my other tips is when you set something up, break it, delete that container, see how hard it is to set up again and make sure you have that process down. Uh, Cause that should be something that is pain free to do is just rebuilding. I'm like, Oh, cool, I'll just rebuild all of my container apps and reattach them to their data. And life is good. Uh, Cause it's unfortunate when people contact uh, us, we, we see posts in our forums or people contact us for consulting and, uh, they've lost all the data because they rebuilt Unify is notorious for this. There's no official Docker for the Unify controller, which means the unofficial documents that get people going on it, often they don't think about the data and mount points on there. So when they rebuild the new app, they're like, oh, I threw away the old container and all the configuration was in there. <laughs> so, But one thing to mention, though, is that there is a Unify container um, in, at uh, linuxserver.io. Yes. Yeah, so I think they're maintaining can... one now, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying that any of their containers are official, but they put so much work into these, and they also work for ARM, which is just so great, especially yeah. for us, because we don't know what you're running, x86, ARM. It doesn't matter. Just pull the container, and it figures it out. So. Yeah, and uh, Fresh RSS, that comes from Linux Server.io as well, that they're the maintainers, because Fresh RSS doesn't maintain a container uh, themselves. They just give you general install instructions on GitHub of how to set it up. But yeah, Linux Server.io... Um, they're great people over there. They're doing they're doing some really solid work. Oh, heck they're yeah, trustworthy. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. They've been uh, been friends of the show for a long time now. Yep, absolutely. All right. Next is going to be privacy and security. Where do we want to start on this topic? This is a big one, but we want to give you some tips about your securing things in your home lab. And uh, at the same time, it's kind of I know there's separate things, but there's a, there's a slight convergence where one can bleed into the other. That's why we threw them both as the same topic. Yep, and I'm 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 going to start with a story on what can go wrong with the with the cloud and in all these things because I think that's a good place to start. But I will admit I don't know how relevant this story is to the audience because I'm you know when it comes to Western Digital's cloud service, which is the topic I'm about to get into, I feel like the majority of the audience is probably running their own um, you know next cloud server or something like that. Um, that being said, uh, I have no idea what everyone's running, so I'm just going to talk about the story. And I'll summarize it a bit just to make sure everyone's aware of it. But I also think anyone who's using it was aware of this immediately. But apparently, um, according to TechCrunch, it was, which is one of the many articles I've been looking at, and it's the one I have in front of me right now because I can't remember dates. As of March 26th, there was a breach at Western Digital, and this caused all of their products that are cloud-enabled, which I found out just how many products they have that are cloud-related. I knew about their MyCloud drive, but there's flash drives that are cloud-enabled. There's like, like a flash drive that could swap things in and out of the cloud to extend the storage. Uh, there's a wireless charger that was breached, believe it or not, because it's a <laughs> cloud-enabled wireless charger. Uh, I had to look at this and find out, why does my charger need to be cloud enabled i think that's probably the last thing i want to be cloud enabled um but what i found out is it's one of those things where it um, backs up your phone or something when it's on the charger but that's ah. not working right now because um the last article i i read said they're still having problems i don't know what's fixed and what's not because i don't use their service their website was up when i looked today this morning but they got in there deep uh people's uh they're claiming that they have a large amount of data and they're threatening Western Digital to uh, make something public, including a po potential or allegedly Western Digital violating their security registration because the hacker got in and was able to do things you, uh, again, allegedly shouldn't be able to do with uh, said security. But I don't know how much of that is true, what they have, what they don't. And uh, it's just a big mess right now. So unfortunately, um, it, it, again, it's a mess. There's some workarounds and there's a local access feature that Western Digital is telling people how to use to get their data back. But I don't know about you, but if uh, a cloud service is breached, I'm not trying to pull anything down anymore, right? Because I don't know if I'm pulling down a payload or what's going on. Um, that's just not the first thing I would try to do. But um there's no way to easy way to say this. It is what it is. It's a problem right now. And this is not the first time. So we'll see how it develops. But I just wanted to mention that for those that, uh, you know, 
might not be aware of it. So that's one of the things that can go wrong when it comes to security well, and privacy. And it's on their side. But then again, if you're trusting your data to someone who has this problem. Yeah. Problem. And this broke people's ability to get to their NAS because mm -hmm. a lot of the way the devices work is they reach out to the cloud. Now, even though it's a local device, they're doing some of their, um, you know, reverse proxy magic to bring you back to it. So your connection in some way indirectly goes through Western Digital and people lost access to it. I've seen a lot of people complaining about this. And this is why I'm always trying to avoid things that have a dependency that forces you to use their cloud. Now, since we did our last privacy one, Eufy cameras have certainly become front and center in attention for companies right. that were completely telling you they weren't even storing things anywhere other than the camera, but that turned out not to be true at all. And once again, this is why when we talk about IoT networks and cameras, as I've talked about surveillance cameras on my channel many times, and I say, I don't give them internet access. And I would have known right away if I were to test one of those UFIs. I think it was the UFI doorbell was the device that really got the most attention. But I would know immediately when I broke the internet, so to speak, and I disabled internet for it, I would know where whether or not it could work. And my cameras I have now, the Amcrest ones, I know they would love to have internet. They seem to ask internet questions. They're not allowed to go anywhere, so they just go into the bit bucket on my PSNs going denied. So uh, it's a lot to consider when you're doing these, because what, what data, what... Yeah. What can people learn about you uh, from some of these devices that are being leaked? Yeah, it, it, it's just a big situation. I mean, now the My Cloud feature, if you have My Cloud, it's now their cloud. That's what we should call it until it's My Cloud again, because um, <laughs> that's the product name. But yeah, there's that. That's the thing is when it comes to making things externally available. And this is, you know, probably a topic we can start with to segue into the main yeah. topic is. Um, when it comes to externally available resources, uh, my first opinion is if you can help it, never make anything publicly available. But I understand there's some things that you do need publicly available for this reason or that reason. And probably the number one thing someone will come back with is Plex because, you know, you probably want to yeah. watch that in a hotel room when you're traveling or something like that. Uh, we know how that works. So there's going to be some things. So um, when I first started, I made something publicly available when I learned how to do this early in my career. And I thought, wow, that's so amazing. I figured out how to make something accessible. I, I turned it off afterwards because I read about why you don't want to do that. But I know how exciting it is to, you know, especially when you're just starting out and you're like, man, I just made this publicly available because when you don't know networking very well, that kind of sounds like uh, voodoo, black magic or something. How do you do that? But once you get seasoned like Tom and I, then, you know, you kind of look at this with a magnifying glass. You start closing all the ports. Online. <laughs> Close everything, right? Um, but again, there's going to be some things that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you need to uh, make publicly available. And that leads me to the first recommendation. And as a quick aside, we did a privacy video. What was it? 20, 30 episodes ago. So yeah. this is kind of like a refresh. So some of these sites. I don't remember which ones I did or didn't go over in that episode, but it doesn't matter because I want to go over it again, just yeah. for anyone who's new since then. So the first thing is Shields Up. And I think this is going to be the first thing to start with that makes the most sense because using Shields Up, you could find out what ports are able to be hit from the internet. So if you go to grc.com slash Shields Up, it's by Steve Gibson, uh, who's you know, you know famous for security now. That's that's uh, part one of his many tools. Yep. He has a few of them. And I'm not going to tell you that this is an exhaustive security test to where if you pass this, you're completely good. If you pass this, you're in a very good, you're in good shape. But I don't believe in anything, you know, being perfect. But it I think this is a very easy and quick thing to start with, especially if you are about to make something externally available before you do that, find out what's available right now. And it could be surprising if you have a cloud-enabled router or something like that. I have no idea. You, you might run a tool like this and find out that there's more open and you didn't even open anything. So uh, the first step is always to you know secure what you have and lock it down before you open anything else up. At least have a baseline of understanding what is open now if there's anything that's open from your router uh, vendor being silly with their default settings or something, this might help you find out, especially if uh, port answers on this service, then um, you should probably take a look at that and find out. I like it too. He also related to the Shields Up has got the universal UPnP internet test uh, to see if your system is exposing 
the uh, UPnP ports, which you may not know. And this is what a complaint people have of why I recommend almost any router other than your generic off the shelf. Some of the things you can buy at the big box stores is because they're notorious for having buggy firmware. Some of them in the past, they would just expose UPnP and it was just poor programming and instead of it being bound and locked into only internal requests, they would expose external requests. And what this means is someone could send a UPnP command to tell it to open up something on the inside and from the outside, and it would listen to you to do that. And, you know, there was a notice about it. There was lots of patches, but people don't patch these consumer routers. They get plugged in. And as long as they're working, generally speaking, no one does it. Now, we know that's not our audience. We know our audience is more advanced than that. Uh, but nonetheless, these are tools you can use to kind of you know, push the envelope a little bit and push people along to, Hey, these are the reasons why you need better security. So <laughs> yep. there's a couple other sites I want to throw out there. And these are going to be for specific needs. Uh, one of them, I know I did not go over for sure because I only just recently found out about it. I can't remember who pointed me to this. I think it was someone on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken, when I was um, asking questions about the Opera web browser, not something I was technically thinking about uh, using. I was just wondering if there's any surprise, like, you know, if something changed and it's, um, you know, changed in some good way and nothing against Opera, but if you go to privacytests.org, what you're going to find there is a list of web browsers and uh, some security features and various things that were tested on that browser. And you can see how many checkboxes your browser of choice is able to get. Oh. And um, what I find find surprising about this is that they test like pretty frequently. Like um, I'm looking at the page right now and it was updated five days ago. So nice. that's pretty recent. So with this tool, you could find out where your browser kind of sets in with this. And, and another thing that I feel like is very surprising, like Opera's uh, status is not surprising. Um, I'm not going to get into the controversy side of things, but you know they're bought by another company, and and some people have questions about how uh, security um, conscientious they are. But what I found really surprising about Opera is Vivaldi is nearly identical to Opera when it comes to the checkboxes on this site. Now, at first, that doesn't seem all that surprising because Vivaldi has come from Opera. There's a bit of a divergence and in, in branching out. Um, kind of like, you know, not not dissimilar from OpenOffice and NextCloud, although it's a browser. But I would think, would have thought anyway, that Vivaldi would have, you know, more checkboxes. They're virtually identical. They're using the same browser engine, so that's probably why. But at the same time, that was still a little surprising. But then you could see how, you know, if you have a Mac, you could see how Safari is compared to Firefox. Uh, Microsoft Edge, there's a number of other browsers on there. So I, I think this is a website that you should probably have bookmarked because you can keep up to date on um, where these browsers stand when it comes to privacy. Yeah, this is pretty slick. I had not seen that say before, so that's definitely a good tip. Yeah, I, I just found out about it probably a month ago, I think. I'm, I'm just guessing. Um, something like that. Um, very similar to that. And I, I'm actually kind of wondering if if they're from the same place. Um and I apparently I didn't uh, save the link for myself, so I'm going to have to manually type it. Like uh, it's 18.99. Now, um, this security thing, I will warn people on. I th th we talked about privacy with privacy tests with browsers. The security thing is because we're right off the heels of yet another problem with Chromium. I didn't say Chrome, I said Chromium, and all these browsers, well, many of them being Chromium based. Before you wander off the path of Chrome in search of something, make sure that something you're choosing is keeping up to date with the latest CVEs. Uh, Google maintains and updates the code to the Chromium project and everyone else kind of pulls downstream from that. But as long as everyone's keeping up to date on there, just one of those little tips I have people consider. You make sure your browsers are up to date. Your browsers are the biggest and most prominent threat surface today outside of exposing ports where things can really get at it. Uh, and get into mm -hmm. your system because you are running your browser. People want to assume you. Uh, and Linus knows how this goes. I've done a whole video on the Linus breach and talking about how you can steal session browser tokens. That is often the goal is to steal those session tokens yep. to become you. 
people it's funny because when i did the video people are like it can't be that easy i'm like yes i just copied the browser token pasted it into another browser and i'm that person instantly so uh, that is why these are so important to uh take into consideration absolutely yeah and that's all about browsers and um it's going to be uh, located at privacytest.org that's where that's that's located and the next one that i want to go over is going to be privacytools.io so again privacytools.io this is not specific to browsers there's all kinds of things here um so for example if you wanted to find out you know which office solution should you consider which uh, service for this which service for that it gives you an idea about the security and the privacy around different platforms so you can make a more informed choice. It's something that I've, um, I, I think it was Security Now that turned me onto this quite a while back. And I can, I'm looking at the site now and it's changed a lot since um, I originally started looking at it. But you have things like file encryption tools listed here. So if you wanted to find out more about that, even disk cleaners, those disk cleaning <laughs> utilities are on here. So, you know, which I haven't used in a long time because I just, you know, I'm a Linux person. I just use a find command and, you know, pipe it out to exec rm dash whatever. Um, not saying that's a safe command, if, you know, if you're not careful. But there's there's uh, YouTube alternatives if that's your thing. There's uh, some information about social networks. You can just basically go through here and find out uh, what their view is on these different uh, services, applications, and find out if this is something that you want to use if you're thinking about trying something new. And one of the things I like to tell people is these are just machines. These are just tools. These are not something that should be personified because I hear people say Facebook is evil. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I preach awareness. You should know what they're doing right. with your data. You should have awareness of your data and how they use it. I think of that, but they're still just a thing. They're not a person. Right. They don't have intention. Uh, we may know that Mark Zuckerberg wants to monetize it. You can just assume that for any of these companies and you just have to be conscious what data you're putting on any of these sites. That's my biggest thing I right. tell people is just make a conscious effort to understand what you're sharing. If you're putting them in NT, uh, any of these sites. And once you start doing that, as long as you're aware, you're good. And this is something it's, it's actually interesting. I'm going to say my, my son who's 16, he seems more aware than I would expect kids to be. And I think just the new generation just goes, no, we already know these companies suck. They're going to do something bad with our data. So we're careful about what we put on there. They, they're starting to think more about it um, than I probably would have when I was his age, given this vast amount of resources to post things. It doesn't mean there's not someone doing something stupid, uh, posting too much on there, but having awareness of it is where you really want to be is going, okay, I know if I post this, this is what they're going to do with my data. And also another thing to know too is um, even if they're doing everything right, like if they're saying that they don't do these things and they're not doing those things and, you know, um, it, it looks safe and you might be thinking, well, it's a big company and it checks the boxes. Uh, one other way to think about this though is even if they're not doing something, you know, evil with your data, if they have a security issue inside the company and your data is there, then yep. regardless of what they're saying, it, you know, something could change tomorrow. We could find out about a breach. And if your data is there, then your data is part of a breach. So you also have to ask yourself, you know, is the company trustworthy um, when it comes to security? Do they have a history of being in the news for all the wrong reasons when it comes to protecting data, things like that? That's another thing to keep in mind, too, because, again, you know, it, it's not always their intentions, although intentions are a big part of it, sometimes it's, you know, it's a matter of a system administrator not applying a patch in time. And the next thing you know, your um, information is out there in the wild. So just yeah. um, keep that in mind too. Yep. It's always saying about what data they have. <laughs> yep. Can't steal what they, what they don't have. Um, another one I wanted to uh, send out to our community and listening audience is scan.nextcloud.com. So it's it's obviously Nextcloud specific. You put your Nextcloud URL there and it'll give you an idea of how secure your um, installation is. Now, a pro tip about the service though, what you wanna do before you use it is look at your Nextcloud and find out what version you have right now. And the reason I'm telling you this is because sometimes the service needs to be refreshed. So like when I went there today, 
it told me that everything is good except I'm running an old version, but I'm not. I, I checked and I even checked for an update. There's no update. And then there's a refresh button on the site. And when you click on it, it can take up to five minutes, but it's going to basically reset the check. And then it got the right version and uh, gave me the information I needed, but it'll let you know some of the low hanging fruit that you can fix if you have a Nextcloud account. Um, again, it's not a complete security picture, but it's like the minimum things that you should do with, with yeah. your uh, Nextcloud installation. Put in your uh, URL there, uh, make sure that it reports back the right version, and then see if it comes back with anything that it recommends that you fix. Yeah, so as much as I love Nextcloud, I do remind people that it you're exposing whatever data you're saving in xCloud to the public internet when you have that opened up like that. Uh, so please make sure that you are uh, making sure the latest version and following the right procedures for that. Because this is one of those things where you put all this data in xCloud, all your personal data. You did not intend to share this with whoever found it, but they found it. You misconfigured something. Now they have it when uh, this is a risk that can be very challenging uh, to mitigate because, man, it, it, if you didn't know you were exposed or didn't know you had a weak password on there and someone was accessing it, you may not know until they've decided to action on that data or try to blackmail you with it or anything like that. Yep, I, I absolutely agree. So uh, also consider encryption within xCloud too. Yeah. Um, now, encryption, I caution everyone, it protects data at rest. Okay, yeah. so that that's not going to protect your data when it's open and unlocked, and you know someone leaves your their their encrypted computer booted up and unlocked, to where someone could just walk over and use the keyboard. Well, encryption is not going to help you, but at least you know enable it and make sure you have a good password, you store it somewhere safe, and all those different things. Because what you're hopeful, what you're hoping is that if someone unfortunately breaks in, they're just going to get junk and so, something that they can't use. But again, you know, like Tom said, just, you know, keep up to date and um, just follow the best practices there and still keep good backups. Because even if you do everything right, you never know if you um, defeat somebody in an online game and they're mad enough, you know, they might, you never know nowadays, right? Something could happen. Just be prepared for it. And, you know, it is what it is. Absolutely. Should we talk about some school, a uh, couple tools to expose your services, but then hide yourself a little bit? Sure. I would say there's a couple of them out there. So Cloudflare Tunnels is one I've talked about. There's several videos about it. Cloudflare Tunnels is cool because you can expose services. They add some extra security features if you'd like to turn them on, and it will hide your IP address. So you're able to create this public URL where you have something. You can set up the Cloudflare Tunnel for it. Now, I'm always mixed feelings when people start calling it a zero trust solution. I like to remind people, you can call it zero trust, but you're trusting Cloudflare because they're the transport layer to get the data from where it is on your network to a yep. facing site. So you have to know the trust circle that you are including and that Cloudflare is included on there. Now, Cloudflare does have rules. They basically say no plex. They don't say it, no plex. They just say, if you exceed this much and primarily use it for hosting video data, you're going to hit some bandwidth limits on their uh, Cloudflare tunnels. So it's not ideal for plex. But for things like Nextcloud, if you go, hey, I just really want access to this and I don't have the opportunity to set up a VPN because VPN is always my first recommendation for mm -hmm. accessing data. Absolutely the, the, the most secure way to do it, whether your VPN is WireGuard or your VPN is OpenVPN, the two most popular ones. Those are great, but if you're going, nope, I just need this publicly exposed, Cloudflare Tunnels is probably the next best thing to do that. But not to be left out of the game, TailScale. Now, I have not tested this, just this is a new beta release they announced, I think maybe one week ago. Um, but I really trust TailScale as far as a company to make really good software. Uh, TailScale has got their new, uh, what do they call it? Funnel. So if you're Cloudflare, you're a tunnel. If it's TailScale, it's a funnel. And <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, it, it, it rhymes. So they are, they are releasing some software to allow for public exposing of things. TailScale already has a really awesome reputation as another alternative to a VPN, I'll call it. It's using WireGuard as a VPN protocol, but it's essentially 
a overlay network system. VPN it would not be a fully accurate way to describe it, but it's a overlay network that uses that. I've done videos on it, and I, right away earlier, someone was asking about, well, is there a fully open source, like I can host it myself version of uh, something like Tailscale? There's a couple things you can do. One, if you use a Tailscale client, because the client's open source, but the coordination server is what they uh, use their service for. So all the nodes talk to the coordination server, but Tailscale actually, to their credit, not only do they make the open source client available, they also, without recompiling it, let you change where those sources are for the coordination server. And then you can use Headscale, which is interestingly, the developers at Tailscale have contributed code to the Headscale project. They've actually fixed some things for those people. So it's kind of weird. Instead of saying we're going to quash the competition, they actually made the product better and it's an open source version. So Headscale is a free open source, uh, not exactly clone, but a replacement for the Headscale server. Now, the one thing it doesn't have um, is the ability to run phone apps. And that's because the developers at Headscale, they... is it's harder because they got they don't have certificates to publish in like the app stores for Android and iPhone. So there's mm -hmm. not any way to uh, current there's, well, I can't say any easy way to do it. I think they have a self compiled version. You can side load onto your phone. So there there's not a non way to do this. There's no easy way to do it, but as far as using for windows and Linux systems, tail scale is actually a really cool way to uh, get all that data on there with an overlay network and not have to have any type of things that are there. Um, I will mention it's not one I've used, but I know a lot of people ask about it. Um, there's another tool out there called NetMaker, and that is another one. It's different than TailScale, but NetMaker is also another type of uh, build tool for building VPNs and connections between servers and managing it. It's it's pretty neat looking from, from an overview, but I haven't used it, so I don't know how hard it is to actually implement. But it's another one to you know, be able to keep you from having to open up things to keep you secure, but still give you access to your data uh, across several nodes, or maybe you work in multiple locations, or maybe you consider, you know, leaving the house sometimes it's weird, but sometimes I do that. <laughs> and then wow. you know, I want to be able to, I want to be able to easily connect to my resources and things that I have access to because my fresh RSS I host internally. And if I want to get to it, I want to get to it anywhere, especially when I'm playing on my phone somewhere because I'm bored. I just, I don't want to go through actual news sites. I can read fresh RSS on my phone by VPNing back to my house. So <laughs> yeah, because sometimes the line at Qdoba could be really, really long and I need something to read while I'm waiting for my burrito. So I know yeah, we definitely have to have something like that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Let me, what's next on my list here? Um, for, for people, this is a question that comes up quite a bit and Tails OS is really cool. So the, it's a live Linux distribution that forgets everything. What do they call that? It's, I forgot the name of the software that it's built on. It's like the no memory version. The Amnesiac. Amnesia. Yeah, yeah Amnesia OS. It boots up each time, randomizes everything as possible, spins up a uh, Tor browser, doesn't even let you connect until it has internet, and then it wraps it in Tor, and then it lets you get out there. If you are looking for a way to minimize your exposure of personal details when you're connecting to the internet. And if you follow Darknet Diaries at all, you'll hear people talking about this when they talk about OPSEC. If you followed the Snowden thing, Snowden used this as well. By separating your main computer from your normal operating system where you're saving things and stuff like that, by booting up something that forces you each time this new session, and when you power it down, all session things go away. You have to log in each time to each service, go open up the web browser. Tails is awesome for doing that. If you are to be really hyper conscious of what you're doing online, Tails is pretty neat. Now, Tor is awesome, but, and there's some videos you can find, there's some good talks at DEF CON. If you talk about how people got caught, I've got a whole video on Tor. And I talked about how people got caught using Tor. It's not the way people think. There's always these people throwing it out there that Tor itself has been broken. And because it's a, you know, the gov some government funding went into it is why uh, it can't be trusted. It can be, but you have to understand the trust with it and how it works and how right. exit nodes work, how ingress works, how the Tor protocol itself is secure. But a 
nation state level actor who is actively looking for you if you do things in a repeatable pattern and this is where the nuance comes in there are ways to decipher generalizations as to where your entrance node is uh, based on a few pings from your exit nodes but it requires a lot of node information there's been a lot of campaigns that are really interesting that have uh, taken this on it's one of those really complicated topics uh there's a some research that I may follow up on because I did the previous video and talk about the status of that research now of understanding who's looking at these exit nodes and what they can and cannot defer. It gives them very generalized information about you, but overall Tor is still a very secure system on there. So it's, def it's definitely a really cool thing to play with um, if, if you want to get into, you know, understanding how the routing works, how the Tor uh, browser works. And it, it, it's a free download. It's all open source. So. <laughs> yep, definitely. Um, we mentioned last week, we won't talk much about it, but obviously for running your home stuff, privacy oriented and somewhat security oriented is going to be home assistant. That's an easy one. If you're in control of all of it, whether you hosted home assistant on Docker, whether you hosted it on some device you have a raspberry Pi, or just some piece of hardware, or even what's there, is it called yellow? Is that theirs? Well, the one that I have is the home assistant blue. There might be a blue. new one, but I don't think mine is sold anymore unless they still have stock last i or when i bought mine they said they were on limited stock and they wouldn't be making any more but they might have a new de uh, device now yeah the um the home assistant is great for keeping all that so it, you're not worried about a breach because it would be it wouldn't matter, so to speak, if uh, your light, the company controls your light bulbs, if they're all controlled in home assistant. I'm like, oh, you know, uh, I have I actually have a bunch of Philips Hue stuff because I bought it on clearance. So before you judge me for having expensive lights, <laughs> I, I bought them because they were on clearance. But if something mm -hmm. happened to the Philips Hue company, that would be tragic, but it would not affect me because I don't loop any of my stuff out to the cloud. If you build things on like the Zigbee or Z-Way protocols or have it connected to your local Wi-Fi, it gives you great control of everything. And you don't have to worry about what happens to these companies once they're adopted into your network because you'll maintain control. Bonus, all my uh, IoT stuff that I have control of works without internet. I can actually still turn all the things on and off. So can Jay. Jay's a big fan of all this too. So, Yeah, it, I just keep finding more and more things to uh, to add to it. And it's... You know, I feel like it's getting easier and easier because at one point yeah. it was like more of a question of like, what does home home assistant support? And now it's more of a question of what don't they support? Because there's things in there I've made an assumption. I, I never would say, a, you know, make an assumption publicly on the channel, obviously. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's not going to be in there. That's a proprietary solution. Oh, it's there. Right. OK. Um, you know, even some of the proprietary solutions, they have some way to, to hook into that. So. It's just a really great system. And I, I feel like Home Assistant is like this unicorn of like great interface. Oh, it is. Don't get me wrong. There's some flaws, but it's so good more often than it's not. And my, any complaints I have are very, very small and inconsequential. It is so well designed. And every time I find out how to do something, if I look it up, I'm thinking, well, that's a logical way to do it. That makes sense. I, I just learned the other day, you could create your own uh, Boolean variables. You don't even have to tie it to an entity. You could just create a, an on-off or a true-false, and you can um, have it as part of your automations to further customize it. So um, there's just so many great things you can do. Yeah. Uh, two last ones I'll mention here is going to be mm -hmm. Pi-hole and uBlock Origin. Uh, the Pi-hole yep. project's fine. I like it. I don't use it actively because I'm partial to using PF Blocker and PF Sense, which can right. use Pi-hole feeds. Uh, but both of those are, are good projects. I, I don't have anything. I just don't do any updated videos on Pi-hole because I really don't use it much anymore. But it's still a, a very actively developed project. It can be enlightening because if it has a really nice reporting on it to see what got blocked. So that's always interesting. But even easier, and of course, if you're wandering around and occasionally leaving the house as I do, uh, on my laptop and well on my desktop too i use uBlock origin big fan of that as a plugin uh it tells you things quickly about sites and if for some reason i need to unblock a site having it right in the browser as a button definitely uh, a solid way to go oh, i guess i don't need this blocker i want to see what it's blocking we're actually laughing about a marketing company i was like it, it blocks 90 percent of what's on their site for embedded like every link they sent me would uBlock origin would give me a warning for so uh, I definitely yeah. think it's, you know, really cool being able to use that. Uh, it, it's a, these are both free, Pi-hole's free, uh, uBlock Origin's free. So, yeah, I use Pi-hole. I like it a lot. And one of the things I I, I want to you know give a quick disclaimer. 
I personally, my personal opinion, not a professional opinion, not a technical opinion. This is completely just my opinion. I really hate mobile computing. I, I just don't like phones, you know, just a personal thing. I mean, yeah. I think some people can really relate to this because especially if you work in IT, then over the years, you're conditioned to believe your phone is your interruption device, the your servers are down device. And it's so easy to um, correlate anxiety to the phone, um, especially telemarketers calling in. It's just just annoying. Anyway, uh, but I have to have a phone because, you know, it, it is what it is. So when I'm out and about, it's very glaring to me how many more ads I get when I'm off my home network than when I'm on my network. And that's one of the reasons why Pi-hole has been implemented, because for me, when I'm home, you have different options on phones when it comes to ad blockers. Depending on your platform, it could be easy or difficult. But having something like Pi-hole when you're, when you're home is great. I, I feel like Pi-hole, I could almost make if there was a safe way to do this, a use case to make it publicly available, if it's my pie hole, and then have my phone use it as a DNS server everywhere that I go. But the problem is, you know, then so too will everyone else. And using DNS is so bad. It's just DNS poisoning is not something that I want to get into. And I'm not saying that could happen with pie hole, but it is something I thought about having some kind of a secure way just to have my DNS server out and out and about that my phone goes to or whatever it is I'm using. And um, hopefully I get fewer ads. Um, it's just so hard to browse the internet without ads. And as someone who gets paid by ad revenue, you might be thinking, well, he likes all those ads and everyone's on. No, I don't want anyone to be inconvenienced like that. It, it's disruptive. And at any moment, you have like five popovers just to read one article. It's it's a hard world out there right now. So, yeah, yeah, I I heard it quoted as the original sin of the internet was uh, building the internet on an ad-based system, and like we did with our other media outlets. Uh, I, I completely think if we would have came up with the internet and not had an ad-based system, some type of minimal minimal pay system, because you think about how little a website makes on ads per person, it's it's pennies. But if you right. could figure out a way to get people to pay pennies. Awesome, because you know we talk about having fifty thousand views on a video that me and Jay do. If someone could just donate a couple of pennies to that and not have to see ads, makes a lot of sense. We got to come up with a better model. I think that's where some of the innovation lies in the future. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be an old man telling my great grandkids. Back in my day, we had unskippable thirty seconds ads in our media and they're like sit down grandpa we solved that years well, ago <laughs> but my my fear is where does it, where does this end and i'm not saying this is going to happen but it's always been a thought in the back of my head um where you know let's just say you go with a phone provider and you get this very cheap phone because you know you don't have a thousand dollars uh to spend on something because some of these are very expensive but you you get a phone and it's true it's completely capable but what if the agreement is you're not allowed to mute the audio when an ad is playing in the heart and the mute button and the volume sliders disabled in exchange for having the phone. I'm, I'm just saying like it, these weird, like where does this go from here? I mean, it's bad now, but unless we figure out a way to change this, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of nervous to see what's going to come next. Yeah. I think it's where we're going to see some innovation, but nonetheless, I yeah. have left links to all the different sites that me and Jay mentioned here, all in the show notes. I was even adding a couple that I, uh, I didn't know about somehow <laughs> they're all in there though. So if you, if you're yeah. listening to this, check out the show notes, we have all the links to the different tools we talked about. Uh, most of the other stuff is pretty easy. Like I didn't leave a link to uh, the tunnels and the funnels, but those are easy enough to find. So tail scale funnels and Cloudflare tunnels. If you want to check those out as well. Yep. A funnel in the tunnel. Maybe you could put a funnel in the tunnel or a tunnel in the funnel and, and combine them. Don't do that. Don't please don't do that. Oh, EFF privacy badger. Yeah, we can mention that too. Yep. EFF is always a great reading resource as well. They're write-ups and uh, keeping up with the things going on in the internet that affect your privacy. EFF is definitely forefront of that. I'm a longtime supporter of that organization. So. Yep. Awesome. Good mention. All right. Well, Thank you guys for joining us. We had some fun. Uh, hit us up at feedback at the Home Lab Show, and we'll see you next time. See you soon.